Hey everyone, this is Jason Shepard, and you're listening to the Commercial Pilot Podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. What are some things to consider when flying at high altitude? Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here of M0A.com, and you're listening to the Commercial Pilot Podcast, brought to you by our number one rated online ground school, groundschoolacademy.com. Complete knowledge test prep, check ride prep, but most importantly, making you that safe commercial pilot. Every Monday night, we do live weekly workshop webinars where we get to sit down. We do mock check rides where I ask you questions. I can present on a topic and it's a great chance to interact for myself and my team to really become your mentor. That's what we're really after. This isn't just, here's a course, good luck. This is a community. This is a mentorship project to really kind of take you through the process. Visit groundschoolacademy.com to check that out and learn more. Today's topic is looking into this notion, this idea of high altitude flying. And we're going to kind of share some things to consider when flying at high altitude. Anytime we start with high altitude flying, by the way, as a commercial pilot, it's very likely as we, you know, continue to improve in our uh, our careers, uh, building more experience in our logbooks, whatever it may be, we're going to have an opportunity to fly some high altitude aircraft. We've already talked about transitioning to complex aircraft, transitioning to high performance aircraft. It's time we talk about some high altitude flying that we may end up doing. But anything high altitude always has to start in 91 to 11, which is our oxygen requirements. 91 to 11, I'm going to read to you the three subparts that apply to us. 91 211. No person may operate a civil aircraft of U.S. registry at cabin pressure altitudes above 12,500 feet MSL up to and including 14,000 feet MSL unless the required minimum flight crew is provided with and uses supplemental oxygen for that part of the flight at those altitudes that is of more than 30 minutes of duration. I'll break this down into plain English in just a second. Subpart two. At cabin pressure altitudes above 14,000 feet MSL, unless the required minimum flight crew is provided with and uses um, supplemental oxygen during the entire flight at those altitudes. Again, plain English in just a second. Lastly, subpart three, easy to understand. At cabin pressure altitudes above 15,000 feet MSL, each occupant of the aircraft is provided with supplemental oxygen. So here it is. From 12,5 to 14,000 feet MSL. If I'm there for 30 minutes or more, I must use supplemental oxygen. Now, you're not going to get away with this idea of, ooh, I'll fly at 12.5 for 29 minutes, then I'll call ATC and tell them I want lower. And then I'll come back up after a few minutes and come back up to 12.5. ATC is going to know what game you're playing there. They're going to know you probably don't have supplemental oxygen on board in this case. You can't get away with playing that game. From 12.5 to 14,000 if they're for more than 30 minutes. Now, above 14,000. So notice it says at cabin pressure altitudes above 14,000. So 14,001, 
right? Because before that it was 12,500 to 14,000. Now it's 14,000 and above. It doesn't matter the duration. 14,000 feet and above, you must be on, required crew must be on supplemental oxygen at all times. And then above 15,000 feet MSL, each occupant uh, must be provided. Now it goes on to say that they actually don't have to use the oxygen. If they wanna get hypoxic and pass out, that's kind of their deal. But I would highly recommend that they utilize that oxygen and you, as the pilot in command, have to provide them with that oxygen. They're not required to take it, but you have to provide them with that oxygen in this case. Why does 91211 even exist? 91211 exists because of what I just alluded to this notion, this idea of hypoxia. Now, let me let you in on a secret. At the private pilot level, when this conversation came up, I'm sure you were able to rattle off 12, 5 to 14,000, 30 minutes. Above 14,000 required crew all times, 15,000 uh, passengers provided but not required to use it. Uh, and hypoxia is basically a lack of oxygen to the vital organs. At a private pilot level, what I just said would absolutely be suitable. However, that's not going to fly at the commercial pilot level. At the commercial pilot level, you're going to start by saying, yes, hypoxia is a deficiency or a, a lack of oxygen to the vital organs, uh, particularly in this case, the brain. And you're going to pause on the check ride. They're going to say, okay, tell me the four types of hypoxia. Now, I quiz my private pilots on the four types of hypoxia because I believe they should truly know it and get a better understanding of all things aeromedical is the term we use. But you have to understand there are four different types of hypoxia. And we're going to go through those four types here just so you have a firm understanding of them. The first is the easiest. It is hypoxic hypoxia. Very easy to remember, right? Hypoxic hypoxia is brought on by a deficiency of oxygen, usually associated with something like altitude. My body is working fine. All systems are go. The oxygen is just not there for you know, my body to consume and the quantities that it wishes. Hypoxic hypoxia. The, we then get into what's called hypemic hypoxia. Hypemic hypoxia, think of hypemic and use it with the word anemic. Hypemic, anemic. Because it works essentially in a very similar manner here. The oxygen is there. However, it's unable to attach itself to the red blood cells, right? Think like anemia, right? The oxygen is there. We're, we're at sea level, whatever it may be. However, it is un, my body is unable to accept all of it or some of it. It's unable to attach to my, my red blood cells. It is hypemic hypoxia. We then get into stagnant hypoxia. Stagnant hypoxia has to do with the pooling of blood. So remember, oxygen attaches to these red blood cells and then transports it to all the vital organs in our body. Stagnant hypoxia could be caused by, this is the same reason military pilots, air show pilots wear something called a G-suit, 
right? What does a G-suit do? It's super tight around our legs to keep the blood from going to or pooling down our legs from the G-loads that we're pooling. So I can have all this nice, rich, oxygenated blood. However, I pull all these Gs, it all leaves my upper half, my torso, right? And heads down into my legs and pools it becomes stagnant. Think of a stagnant pond. It's just not moving. Now, that's one example. Going using using this as well. Stagnant could be, you know, the pump, the heart just isn't strong enough or, or, or working appropriately to pump the blood in the right places. Think if you had a pond in front of your house and you run a fountain with it, it keeps circulating everything, but that fountain goes out one day. In a few days, you're gonna have a green pond. There's a pretty good chance that because the water's not circulating, it's not getting oxygen, the fish in there are gonna die eventually. Like you see like the pump's not working or the blood is pooling in this case. Stagnant hypoxia. The last type of our four types of hypoxia is histotoxic hypoxia. Remember the word toxic. Something else has attached itself to the red blood cells. My body is fine, the oxygen is there, however, something else has attached itself to my red blood cells. This could be something like alcohol in this case, right? A red blood cell can only hold so much. If it's transporting alcohol, it can't transport both, you know, all the same amounts of oxygen that it wants to transport. Histotoxic. Everything is working, but the red blood cells can't accept the same volume of oxygen because something else is attached to the red blood cells in this case, using alcohol as an example in this case. The four types of hypoxia hypoxic hypoxia, hypemic hypoxia, stagnant hypoxia, and histotoxic hypoxia. The four types of hypoxia I promise will be on your commercial pilot check ride. They're then going to follow it up and say, okay, talk to me about the symptoms of hypoxia. And you're going to say, okay, um, I could become dizzy, euphoric, lightheaded, cyanosis, the bluing of the fingertips and toes, the extremities, headaches. These are all things associated with something like hypoxia. And it's knowing this, it's knowing how does it affect you. I had a very cool opportunity and I've had that opportunity twice now, actually, to actually go in a hyperbaric chamber. There is an amazing place called SAMI, S-A-M-I, the Southern Aeromedical Institute. It's in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, I have two videos on it because we've done it twice. Uh, and they actually have a flight simulator set up in a hyperbaric chamber. And you're able to fly this simulator while they bring you up to altitude and you see the effects of hypoxia, but it's while you're flying the airplane. It's just a very, very, um, very cool experience in this case. And what I learned is this. My symptoms, once I find out what they are, are going to hit me in the same way each and every time. If at first I get a headache, then I feel dizzy, that's the symptoms that are going to follow. However, what I didn't realize, what I learned in this last trip, is that as I grow older, those symptoms can change. So for example, when I first went, 
You know, I was, I was much younger, as you'll see in the video, um, the very first one. And one of my first symptoms was I was getting tunnel vision. And literally, it was just, I couldn't, I was like a horse with blinkers on, with blinders on. I'd had no peripheral vision. I could, my scan, I was having to like literally move my entire head around because I got such tunnel vision. And that was my first symptom, which then led into a headache and everything else from there, getting dizzy and tired were kind of my symptoms. We then go probably six or seven years later, and I go and I'm flying along with Matt. Matt's one of our, one of our managers here at M0A.com. And I'm in the chamber with Matt and we're going to do some CRM and practice this. And we're filming the entire process. And as we're going up and we're doing turns to headings and radio communications, everything else. And I am all of a sudden, I'm waiting for tunnel vision to happen. And he, we're going through 23, 24, 25,000 feet. You'll see it all in the video. And I, I'm watching going, tunnel vision is not happening. But what is happening is I'm getting so euphoric. You watch the video, I am laughing at just the dumbest things. Uh, my, I'm starting to lose my fine motor skills as I'm trying to grab the, uh, the G1000 in this case here. And I'm working to grab the G1000. I can barely grab it. So I'm becoming euphoric. I'm losing my fine motor skills. And then finally, the doctor, Dr. Paul Buza was his name. He brings it back. He goes, Jason, I got to bring you back down. You're losing it. I said, no, I'm fine. Just keep it going, doc. Everything's great. I was euphoric, right? My that's a that's a dangerous symptom to get. This euphoria that you just feel like everything's great. Don't just sweat it in this case. So he brings us back down and he said, Jason, you are so euphoric. You're laughing at everything. And you just thought the world was great. You saw nothing wrong. I said, Yeah, because I was waiting for the tunnel vision. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, when I came here six or seven years ago, I got tunnel vision first. And he said, Jason, just like as an adult, sometimes you develop allergies. Like we have a very good friend who developed a peanut allergy at 50 years old. And you're thinking, how'd you go 50 years without a peanut allergy? And all of a sudden you just grew into this peanut allergy. Like how does that happen? But our body changes. How things like a deprivation of oxygen affects us, changes. So Dr. Paul Buza recommended that this is something you should do really every five years because mine changed. Like I literally did not even get tunnel vision that time, as, as crazy as that sounds. So I was waiting for these symptoms. So it's great to know your symptoms, but know that they can change as well. It's better to know these symptoms. And I'll tell you, it's unfortunate that euphoria is my first symptom because I would honestly say it's one of the more dangerous ones because I truly believed everything was fine. I, you need to go watch both videos. They're both kind of long. Watch the old one, watch the new one. But I was just having a ball up there in this case and uh, didn't even realize what was actually happening. How dangerous is that until you eventually, you're so euphoric and next thing you know, you pass out. That's the, that's the danger of this when we're talking about hypoxia. Something else that's, that's noteworthy to mention here uh, is to have a pulse ox with you, a pulse ox you know, with you. It's, you can get them 20 bucks on Amazon. I have one. It stays in my flight bag just so I always know where I'm at. Because remember, the FAA recommends in the AIM, AIM's recommendations, FARs are our regs, the AIM recommends to use oxygen 5,000 feet and above at night. Again, our eyes are, are, you know, obviously major organ using a lot of that oxygen at night. They're really working hard, so they demand more oxygen. The FAA recommends using oxygen above 5,000 feet at night. Just something else to note there. Recommendation, not a regulation, 
in this case, but understand that and having a pulse ox so I can just put it on my finger and see, you know, what, where am I at right now? Am I declining? Am I maintaining? Am I improving? What is the case? And using that not only for yourself, but for your passengers as well. Just something else to ponder. Again, the purpose of this is to, to dig deeper into something like 91 to 11 and, and really kind of take it through uh, that way. So I hope you're just loving the Commercial Pot Podcast. I hope you're loving the Commercial Pot Online Ground School if you're in there. We're so blessed, so thankful for your business. Thank you, by the way, for making the Commercial Pilot Podcast one of the most listened to top-rated aviation podcast on iTunes. We couldn't do it without you. So listen, enjoy the rest of your day. And most importantly, remember... But a good pilot is always learning. Have a great day, guys. We'll see you.